Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Welcome to the TMC Connect webinar, how to right size your company to current market levels. Today we have with us um, David Licken and Howard Nathan from TMS Advisors and David Kittle, also also with TMS Advisors and our very own co-founder and partner of TMC. Welcome, guys. Thank, Thank you. Me. Glad to be here. It is an honor to be here, and this is an important topic, and I'm excited to get this really launched. Uh, this How this started was David Kittle, who and I have been friends for a long, long time, more time than longer than we probably want to admit, um, said, hey, Lickin, there's a real issue out there. A lot of people are struggling with uh, how to downsize or right-size their company in this market. And we're seeing a lot of decisions as consultants. We're seeing a lot of decisions that are being made that you kind of scratch your head going, what were you thinking when you did that? And so David brought that to my attention. I said, we're seeing the same thing. Let's do something about it. And uh, so with that, we connected and or we've been connected as friends and we've worked together in the past. So it's a real honor to work with you, David. And then you introduced me to Howard Nathan, who has also recently joined us as a fractional CFO and, and our firm providing services to our clients on a fractional CFO basis. And so, David, I'd like to have you take it from here and tell us about what you're doing. I may have a few questions in the midst of that. Well, I hope you do. Well, thanks. And uh, thanks to TMC for uh, letting, yes. us, uh, letting us do this. We certainly appreciate it. And uh, so I was attending this conference uh, with Meridian Link back in the first part of the year, who is also a preferred partner for the Mortgage Collaborative and uh, leading a session. And after the session, I had, I don't know, seven or eight people come up and we were talking about the market, where it was going. This is in February. And they were talking about still losing loan officers and their volumes were starting to decrease. And what were they going to do with their companies? And the questions kept coming. And that's when I picked up the phone the next day when I got home and I said, David, I think there's a need out there because people don't know how to right-size and downsize. And I think right-size is a much better terminology. So we put this together. I invited uh, Howard Nathan. Howard and I worked together before. He was uh, chief financial officer and uh, chief operating officer for a company that, that I was CEO of. And so we have a past experience together. And we brought on a gentleman, David, that you introduced us to, Stephen Chapman. <laughs> David couldn't join us today. Um, for a time commitment, but um, we're going to talk about what Stephen does. So the three of us got together and we said, if we go into a company, what would it look like? How could we help these people? And we all bring something different to the table. Mine from a C-suite. I've had three of my own lending companies. I've, uh, I'm have i in my 47th year in the mortgage lending business now. And this is, I think, my seventh or eighth major correction up or down. And I've seen it all. So I bring that expertise. Howard certainly brings the financial side and the operation side. And Stephen brings something unique we'll get into in just a minute. And that's from a cultural perspective. And uh, he works full time for Allstate Insurance, but takes care of all of the culture inside uh, Allstate. So he's got a master's degree in that. So it's a perfect fit to go in and talk to people about how they did it, where they make their decisions to cut or downsize and make sure that they do it in the right way uh, for the people. So, because you can actually grow in a market like this. And so that's what we're going to do. 
So I would like to, at this point, just uh, turn this over to Howard Nathan and uh, introduce Howard again and um, let him tell us a little bit about what his expertise is and what he's going to do when uh, when we go into these companies. Sure. Thanks, David. So, you know, I've been in the business now for, I guess, 25 plus years. I don't like to go any higher than that because I start to show my age. But um, much like David, I've seen the ups and the downs. And look, you know, I think everybody on this call, you know, can sit has experience in, in downsizing and doing those things. But what we think we can bring to the table is an objective view of, of the decisions you make. Because no matter how hard you try, um, you know, when you're sitting around with your management team, your executive team, there's always those um, decisions that are made that maybe aren't based on facts, but they're, you, you, you let emotion start to trickle in. And in this type of environment, unfortunately, you, you want to try and take the, as much of the emotion out of it. You know, that's not to say, you're emotionless, as my colleagues would say, that maybe I am as a CFO. But you know, you know, I kind of have three I, three pillars that really base your decisions on. And one, there should be kind of that no sacred cows. Uh, you know, the second one is you know try and drive your decisions by data as much as possible. Um, and then the third one is whatever you do, don't look at this too short term in nature. Um, you know, the market's going to come back; it's going to correct it, it. This is a correction. We've all probably been through it you know, David seven or eight times, others, maybe it's your first or second, but everybody's been through it. And we all know the market. If the one thing that's certain about interest rates when they go up is they probably will eventually come back down to some degree and give you that next opportunity. So um, really what we're trying to do is kind of bring that objective look um, to all of you to, to bounce your ideas off. And, you know, we don't have any stake in the game. We just want to make sure you're making the best choice for your company, both in the short term and the long term. I've got a question for you, uh, Howard. As you're looking at this, what are some of the blind spots you see people can fall into when analyzing the expense side of the ledger and um, trying to make that decision? Well, again, it really comes down to, you know, certain things, you know, needs versus wants. Um, you know, sometimes you, you think something's a need, but really it's more of a want. And that has to do with, both your personnel needs and you know various expenditures. Um, when it comes down to looking at specific vendors, uh, you know loyalty is important, but you have to make sure you're making rational decisions, and it's not based on you know you really like the account executive or a particular vendor that plays into it. But really, it's just taking that kind of more objective look, and like I said, trying to take as much of the emotion out of it as possible. That's spot on. Mr. Kittle, we both have sat in the many a C-suite and we've both been CEOs of our own company. What do you see as you're talking to people, especially within the TMC membership? And again, thank you to TMC for allowing us to have this. But what are some of the difficulties as a CEO or anyone in the C-suite struggle with when it comes to the cuts? Well, it's interesting. Right-sizing. Uh, two answers to this question, though. I'm actually having a conversation with a TMC member uh, about 10 days ago and a CFO at a company. And uh, they're making the decisions internally, just like everybody else. And the cuts, some cuts were made. Now, remember, this gentleman is high up in the organization, but cuts were made uh, without his knowledge. So improper communication inside the company, people that actually reported to him, uh, which he should have had a say in. So it, communication when you do this is of the utmost importance. And to Howard's point, it's going to be emotional because, you know, if you're a good 
manager, you do have some connection to all your employees. You have that emotional connection. And it's tough to be objective because everybody, human nature is you're going to play favorites. Uh, so it's it's a um, you need that objective outside look. and uh, That's what we're going to provide. I think that's really good. And I might speak to Stephen's not here with us, but I worked with Stephen. I met him. Uh, we both were part of a group that Patrick Lencioni formed. And so we had the privilege of working close with Patrick Lencioni and the team. And he developed something called the Six Working Geniuses. And it's an assessment tool that Stephen uses, I use, uh, that helps you go through and balance out skill sets. And when it comes to skill set balancing, oftentimes we find, or you know, I should ask this as a question. It's something I've seen to be the case, but Howard and David, do you also see people having a tendency to keep people that they like versus what they need? And and, and it's outside of the perspective of what, the, when we say need, what do we need to balance the decision process across the organization? Start with you, David. Yeah, certainly. That goes back to the emotional capital that you have. So absolutely, they do that, you know. So, uh, and you, Howard maybe can speak to this a little bit better than I can, but, you know, I, I've made the mistake before of just going and looking and saying, well, here's the biggest salary. Uh, this is what we need to get rid of uh, back in the 90s. And um, totally, it was just the, the wrong move. Uh, look back on it now, and uh, I didn't do it right. So uh, we've all made the mistake. We've all made I'm it. Not, I'm not just, you don't go to the biggest uh, – the biggest number on your balance sheet to get rid of it to right size, because that's going to probably damage internally the company and going forward for you to, uh, to actually right size and grow going forward. Yeah. I, I mean, to, to add on to that, what David says, yes, I, I think that's where, you know, there's a balance. Um, you know, it isn't about just cutting the highest cost people. Um, it's making sure you have the right people left to still be, to run your company as it, it should be. And, and that goes to all, all your cuts. I mean, I've seen, you know, you can sit here and save small amounts and, and this is where Steven thinks Steven's element comes into play. Um, you know, and I use this because I've seen it where they want to change the co- the brand of coffee to save all of $20 a month. And the uproar within the organization is shocking. Um, and, it, and, you, and looking back on it, it's like, what was the purpose? I mean, I think everybody, w- I would have, taking $20 out of my pocket and just gave it to the company every month to not have to deal with something that's really trivial, inconsequential, yeah. inconsequential from a cost perspective, but the emotional and the cultural impact has a lot of meaning on the people that are left. So it, it, that's where it comes in to really taking an objective look and balancing things out. One of the things, David Kittle, when you and I were talking, we go by Kittle and Lickens. So anyone watching this, we're not being disrespectful. But uh, Kittle, when you and I were talking uh, about this, you actually came up with an interesting observation to one person you were talking to. You'll know about, recall this as I begin to bring it up. This was an individual, not what should they, should they reduce right size, but should they own their own business? Right. Maybe they would be better inside of another way to talk about that, because I think that's a consideration that maybe more and more people she need to look at. So over the last, um, I would say maybe off on the year just a little bit and remind me in just a second, David, because I want to get to uh, some of the things that Stephen provides yes. uh, in, in detail. Um, if you got into the business in the last 15, to 17 years, uh, all you've seen is uh lower interest rates. You've not been in a, a climbing interest rate market. A lot of people went from being broker to lender 
got warehouse lines, which is great. Yeah. But I always say, you know, the best way to to screw up a salesman is to make them a manager. <laughs> so if you're if you're a great salesperson, then all of a sudden now you have a company and you're building it, and your skill set may not be president, CEO, or manager. And you need to make sure you have the right people in place. Now, in this particular market, there are opportunities out there as it as you downsize, um, you can be absorbed. Uh, by other companies out out there, and that may be the right decision for you after we get in here and look at your books when you're a smaller smaller lender. So there's all kinds of options and opportunities out here. Back to what you were starting to say about Stephen, because I think this is an element of the business. We all understand Howard's role. It's one that you know we give Howard a bad time. You know uh, the heartless CFO coming in here and doing the cuts that just just really aren't thought all the way through. But it's necessary. There is a unique balance in this, and I'm really excited to what about what Stephen is bringing to this. And Howard, you touched on it, but let's start with you, David. Talk a little bit more about the human element, the cultural element. So when we get into it, you know, Stephen's probably on on the end of the evaluation when we come in, but it's the culture inside the company. You know, is your company that you have right now really a place where people want to work? Because right? that means a lot to your profitability going forward. So we take a look at that. So we call this um, consulting opportunity. Actually, we've named it as organizational health. So we'll come in and help you get healthy and give you the, the right tools and going forward. But Stephen has uh, four bullets he wanted me to get out of if I could. He goes, you need to create. Remember, this gentleman has a master's degree in what he's talking about. So this just isn't something that he's come up with. So this is what he does for a living. Create cohesive teams. You kind of go, well, duh, but a lot of people haven't done that. Create clarity on purpose, values, mission, and strategy and your short-term goals inside your company. Over, this is one I love, number three here, over-communicate the clarity in bullet number two. You can't over-communicate enough inside is what he's saying. And finally, reinforce the clarity through hiring performance reviews, business processes, organizational structure, et cetera. So you have your plan, you communicate it properly, and you reinforce it, and you develop a wonderful culture inside your company. A lot of companies don't have that. Yeah, I think they struggle with that, especially when in a downsizing. And then it's how to bring the, keep the culture in a downsized manner, because you're looking around, you're seeing people that you used to work with, you maybe cared for or didn't care for some, maybe sometimes you're glad to see some people gone, but more times than not, no matter if you like them or didn't particularly care for them, you're sad to see them go. And I think this is a time where really emotionally, a high EQ emotional quotient is so important. It's one of the things I love about you, Kittle, is you would just care about people deeply. I've watched many a tear go down, literally a tears go down your eyes. You're, one of the things I envy more about you is your ability to connect at an emotional level with people. This is a difficult decision, and it needs, as you said, third-party objectivity when looking at it. I really celebrate that part of why, I'm, and that's why I'm so excited about you on our team leading this initiative. Well, thank you for that. Howard, what would you add to that? I, I think I've added all I have to add that now. I think that was a good summary of, of why we're doing it and what we're doing. 
That's really good. Well, uh, Sarah and Amy, I'm not sure how much time we uh, allotted for this. I think we're getting kind of close to uh, initially. I don't know if there's any questions out there. If not, we have a few other points that we can drive home. But uh, how much time do we have here, Sarah, that we should allow for? Yeah, um, we have until 3.30. Um, if okay. anyone has any questions, please go ahead and drop them in the chat and we can get those answered for you guys. What are some of the common questions as we're waiting for some questions? Mr. Kittle, um, actually, I'm just getting texted a couple of questions. So that's interesting. Uh, it's good. Um, so, Mr. Kittle, one of the questions that that you run up with most more than anything else, and we put the same question to you, Howard. What are some of the questions that you run uh, that seem to come at you when you approach this thing, this whole process? So the first one I get all the time, I mean, it's and it probably asked myself this, you know, 30 years ago is uh, when, you, when you know you have to make the changes, can't go back to, I'm going to get rid of the highest uh, salary on my balance sheet, right? And, but how, where can I take those duties and who can I give them to? How can I push down some management stuff and, and rise people, raise people up internally and give them more to do? Are they cross-trained? So sometimes cross-training is great. But when you start pushing down C-suite, C-level responsibilities to mid-level managers, you are destined for trouble. That's why you just don't go in and cut your biggest salary. You have to do it strategically. You got to look at it and really put together a plan going forward. I think one of the questions I often get as I as we go through this is, you know, how much is enough? And that's where, you know, mm. it, it gets down to a little bit of the data and, and you know, having a, and I'm sure everybody on the call has heard this, but you know, having a financial forecasting model is important too, so that you can figure that out and you're not just kind of guessing. And that comes back to my one of my original points about you know, make sure it's data driven as best you can. So you shouldn't just be thinking like, okay, this is enough. Because one thing you want to try and do is if if you have to do this, in a perfect world, you only have to do it once and then everybody's at ease. If you have to go back and do it again, everybody suddenly is concerned forever because they don't know when when it's over. So you know, try and get it right the first time. Sorry, Hart, I thought you were finished. But to Howard's point, if I could add on, you know, you put together, <clears throat> everybody loves to get a strategic plan, but that's all they are. You have to manage to it and continue to tweak it. And uh, this is something that you can use going forward forever in your company, but it will continually have to be tweaked all the time. And um, a lot of CEOs and a lot of uh, C-suites don't do that. They get caught up in, well, we got to keep doing loans. And... Um, uh, instead of managing to uh, to their strategic plan, uh, just really get caught up in the production side of it to make the money. And that's where they get slammed in a, in a market like this. Yeah, one of the questions, Howard, you alluded to it earlier in an earlier comment that just came in through one of my text messages to me. First of all, they're saying this is a much needed service. It's grateful that grateful that you guys are offering it. Uh, hope you're wildly successful with it. It is badly needed. It's one of the things evidently being talked about. But how do you prepare, Howard, to your point, for how long this is going to be? Each person here, we have hopes. We all hope this is going to be a short-term uh, thing, that this is going to actually, we're going to see uh, 2023 be positive. Uh, we're not here to project one way or another, and I know you guys don't do that, but how do you plan for something like this? I mean, when you, how long will this season be, and does that adjust? Does a CEO or a C-suite team um, approach uh, right-sizing in a different manner based on the, the perceived time it'll be. Howard? Well, I, again, I think that goes back to a little bit with what David Kittle just said, which is there has to be a plan around it. Um, 
you know, you, it's one thing, okay, you know where your volumes are today, but, and you, and you, if you're, you build a model and say volume's going to go up, you know, 10% every month, if all it is is numbers on a piece of paper, that's not a plan. You have to ask yourself, what am I going to do to make volume go up 10%, 10% every month? Or maybe I just have to accept, like, I don't think we can. So I have to accept that it's going to be flat for the next couple of months. And then we're going to go into a tough season in the, in the winter. So what do I want? What do I want to do there? So it's really, you know, there isn't a one size fits all. It's about, you know, where you are financially. Look, some companies can afford, let's just be honest. Some companies can afford to run a loss for some period of time and may choose the to balance do sheet. that yes, exactly from right. the long term. Others, you know, are tighter from a capital and, and liquidity standpoint. They got to stop the bleeding and, and get to a, a minimum break even. So it's a different type of, of strategy. So part of what we would do is really dig out and you know pull out those 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 answers to those questions to help make the best decisions. David, you want to add to that? No, I don't know how you can add to perfection. That was a good good response. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I do have another question on this because it comes in the line. This is one that wasn't text in, but it comes to point you just hit another point, brilliant point you hit on Howard. Talk about planning. I, I also like to say hope is not a strategic or a uh, a real plan. Hope is not a plan. It's something we can all hope for. But here's the thing: when the pandemic hit, one of the things that's surprised me. I should have known this because I started my career 48 years ago in a bank in the mortgage department. And they have plans for everything. When the pandemic hit, they had a plan. They pulled their pan pandemic planning manual out. Here's what we thought about if a pandemic plan. Independent mortgage bankers don't necessarily have the foresight to plan like that. And I really think this is such a rich and rare opportunity for us to, to begin to have forward thinking. What about this? Scenario planning. Uh, you know, David, thoughts on that? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, welcome to the Lick and Kittle uh, cliche club, but you know, if you <laughs> fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? So yeah, you yeah. got to have all those scenarios around it. And those things take time and they take focus. And when you're doing a lot of loans and you've been in this huge refinance boom we've been in for, for years and years, nobody looks at that. Nobody was really prepared for this. If you ask everybody last year at this time that we were going to be in this market next year, 99% of the people would have said, no, you know, yeah, yeah. sometime and not ending now. And uh, So how do we plan for something like this, Howard? How do we have a pandemic plan, a, a right size plan? market conditions? How, what is the right approach to this? Well, I got to be, look, I've worked in a bank environment and, and had to do some of those plans that you thought would never be used. So, you know, you, you have to be balanced resources, but in terms of, you know, everyone should have in the back of their mind, a plan for, for vol when volume goes down, um, you know, cause it's going to happen. I mean, that's just the nature. You, just, you might not know exactly when, but you know, it, it's going to happen. Um, and, and the alternative is you should also have a plan for when volumes start to go up. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a list of people that you want to hire or call um, should volume suddenly start going up. I mean, it's un it's a fortunate, unfortunate situation right now in that there's a lot of great people in the market. Um, yeah. You know, and I don't want you to lead them on in terms of suggesting there's a job, but there's nothing wrong with having your HR department, if you have one or whoever you have, having people, having people at the ready and having some conversations like, hey, we're not right. hiring right now, but 
it's going to happen. And we, you know, we'd love to talk with you a little bit now, you know, for when those opportunities present themselves. Well, you hit on a really, really good point. It's, it's developing the relationships, even with them, some of the employees you let go, if you do it in the right way, the employees will want to come back. If you treated them well on the exit, they, everyone, I think basically understands we have a business to run here, but um, this is a, Great stuff. I just had another question. I am a TC, TMC member. How do how would I get started? I'm assuming, David, uh, well, we know a fact. Let's tell everybody. They contact you. You're right. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's a link on the uh, TMS website that they can get in touch with us. So just go yep. to uh, Transformation Mortgage Solutions and then click the link on there for organizational health. Love to talk to you. Very, very good. And then what, when you contact, you get started, um, what's the, what's anticipated? You come in, you do an initial evaluation. Um, talk a little bit about that and the steps that go on and then we'll see if Sarah has any questions. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, it depends on the size of the company and what they're actually looking for. Are they looking, have it, have they not downsized yet or have they already done it? They think they've done it incorrectly and they need some help or they want to talk about planning and, and going forward, but it would certainly an initial phone call. And, uh, you know, as Stephen Howard and I have been talking, they may only need two of us. They may not need all three of us. We might find that right. out. So yep. it's an issue where then we would come in for a couple of days and sit and talk and interview and get the things that Howard needs to look over, all the financials. And uh, then we'll make an evaluation. And within uh, about 10 days after we're done, we'll give you a report and, and tell you what we believe objectively you need to do to go forward to, uh, to succeed. Very good. Sarah, you popped on here. Do you have any questions coming in from anyone? Um, I do not so far, but if anyone does have any questions, you can always get in touch with any of us for those to get answered for you. And being TMC members, which TMS is glad to be a member of TMC, do we do anything special for our TMC members, Mr. Kittle? I suspect we do. Absolutely. We're going to give them great service, but the, uh, there is uh, a discounted uh, service for TMC members as opposed to uh, when we take this and go outside of uh, the mortgage collaborative. So, yeah. That's it. So, so. Great. I think that covers a lot of the base, most of the bases that we had for you, Sarah. So. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, guys. For everyone on the call, if you do have any questions, please let um, anyone on this call know. We will be sending a follow-up email, so you can always respond to that. The follow-up email will include links to watch this on YouTube, as well as view on our podcast as well. Great. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good day, everyone. You Bye. as well. Bye. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.